Turn your Bibles to 2 Corinthians tonight. We'll read verses 1 through 6 tonight. The title of our time together is The Spiritual Warfare of the Believer. The Spiritual Warfare of the Believer. 2 Corinthians chapter 10, verses 1 through 6. Now I, Paul, myself, beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ, who in presence and base among you, but being absent and bold toward you. But I beseech you that I may not be bold when I am present with that confidence, wherein I think to be bold against some which think of us as if um, we walked according to the flesh. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war after the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalteth itself against the knowledge of God, and bringing into captivity every thought to the obedience of Christ, and having in a readiness to revenge all disobedience when your obedience is fulfilled. Here Paul is dealing with this matter of spiritual warfare, and we'll begin looking at that tonight and probably lay some, give some more thoughts on it and add to it even next week on these particular verses because there's so much here to consider. As we come to chapter 10 tonight, Paul's focus changes a bit. We've been working our way through, and his focus changes from this chapter on to the end of the book. Uh, he has been dealing with, we've several Wednesdays, we've been looking at chapter 8 and chapter 9. He's been dealing with the need and the necessities of the financing for the missions work, for the work of missions, getting the gospel around the world, grace giving. Spent a lot of time there. But tonight we cha- turn, a, turn a chapter, turn a page if you will. But Paul really what he does is he goes back to the topic of dealing with false uh, teachers with false apostles, those who have made their way into the church. We've seen this early on in the book of 2 Corinthians, and Paul left off the dealing with them. And he, in these latter two chapters, 8 and 9, he was dealing with, again, the matters of the church. Now he comes back, um, and he's specifically dealing and talking about those who have made their way into the church and uh, have been seeking to undermine Paul's authority as pastor of that church who began the church and worked so diligently there. And so now these folks have come in and begin to seek to undermine that ministry. They have tried to paint Paul, and we work our way through, they've tried to paint Paul as a selfish, two-faced, carnal individual. Could you ever think about that, that kind of a thought is with regards to the Apostle Paul? But yet, that's what they tried to do. Uh, Paul is off the scene. He spent 18 years there in Corinth. Now he's off the scene. And he's writing a letter back to them to clarify and to, in a way, defend himself. We see that taking place in many ways. But they have painted him in a wrong fashion. And the reason why they are doing this, the, the purpose was to ruin his ministry. Ruin his integrity, ruin his character, uh, and set out to, to ruin his reputation with the people. And in these next couple of chapters, Paul deals with this matter decisively. 
yet biblically. He deals with it decisively, yet biblically, as he deals with these false teachers. And Paul knows that false teaching in the church cannot be tolerated and must be stopped. He understands that. False teaching in the church cannot be tolerated and it must be stopped. Once false doctrine and belief gets in uh, to the door, gets in the door of the church, it can run like wildfire through the church and ruin the church. And we see this all around. We hear of all kinds of times this kind of thing happening. I received a text just this evening of a church, and I won't call the individual the church or anything, but uh, someone was out ministering in a particular location, and he says, look, I ask you to pray for this particular work. He said, it's been a wreck. He said, false doctrine have come in. It was once a thriving, mission-sending, mission-going church. It was once a church that was reaching into the community, and now it's nearly about to close its doors. He said, pray for this church. And false doctrine have come in. And church splits happen and these kinds of things. And it runs rampant through the church. Jude himself addressed the very same thing. If we go to Jude chapter, uh, one chapter of course. Jude verses 3 and 4. Jude says, beloved, when I gave all diligence to write unto you of the common salvation. It was needful for me to write unto you and exhort you that you should earnestly contend for the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. For there are certain men crept in unawares who were before of old ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, Men turning the grace of our Lord into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. He says there's one faith that's been delivered to the saints. Uh, Run as far as you can when somebody comes out and says, we've got something new. We've got something new. We've got something fresh. We've got something that we've just, and by the way, we're the only ones that's gotten it. Uh, You ought to run as fast as you can from that kind of thing. Once delivered to the saints. That is a powerful statement. The doctrine found in this Bible is that truth that God delivered. And it's what he had put in in the scriptures by the Holy Spirit. He inspired these writers. Do not add to it nor do you take away from it. And yet people still are doing that. And people fall headlong after this kind of thing. Uh, he, Paul told Timothy in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and 13, Hold fast the form of sound words which thou hast heard of me. In Hebrews 3 and 6, let us hold fast our profession. Hebrews 10 and 33, let us hold fast the profession of our faith without wavering for he is faithful that promised. Don't waver from the truth. Hang on to the truth. Hold fast to it. Don't let it be taken away from you and by the liars, the false teachers. And this is what Paul is dealing with. Don't let go of what God has given us. Where do we find it? Here in this Bible. Don't let go of what we find in this Bible. It's the truth. Don't give it up. Don't give up what we have here. Don't give it up for a lie. Don't let our guards down. And even a church like this, Lakewood Baptist Church, uh, um, there are so many people that, who are 
very, many of you have forgotten more than I'll ever know. Um, and I appreciate that. But I just want to simply say, it can come here. It can come here. And that's why we try to do everything we can to, to guard this pulpit. Who preaches here? What Bible they use here? What kind of music is used here? All of those things, the philosophy of ministry that goes on here, all of those things are important to the keeping of the faith, to, to, to the keeping of the church, and the keeping and the, and the continuation of, of the truth to the next generation. We are the keepers of God's word. And we are not only to keep it and to hold it, but we are to deliver it in good fashion to the next generation. Not halfway, not a partial amount of truth, but the entire truth. Don't let go of what God's given us. There have always been those false teachers who have, are peddling their lies, peddling their false doctrine, and they always want to set up shop in the church. They don't often set up shop down the road in some other place, but they always want to get into the church and seek to get roots in different things. Don't let them, even if it's the preacher, don't let him. Be a Berean. Search the scriptures to see if these things be so. Just don't take my word for it. If it's Bible, then believe it. If it's not, then let's deal with it. I'm no different than anyone else. But I'm simply saying that we've got to hold to the truth because so many are trying to steal it from us. Galatians chapter 1, uh, some interesting verses. Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. Look at those verses with me. Galatians chapter 1, verses 6 through 9. Paul is dealing with the church at Galatia and the same thing has happened here. Is what we're talking about and what Paul's trying to stem the tide of and head off. So it doesn't happen in Corinth. He says in verse 6, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ unto another gospel. There is no other real gospel. There's only one gospel, but another that they're propagating, that they're teaching. It's not the gospel but it's one that's called that. You, I can't understand this. You're so removed so quickly. How did this happen? Verse 7. Which is not another, he says, but there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. Oh, it's all around us. But though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel unto you than that which we have preached unto you, let him be accursed. Paul says, I'm in on this thing too. I, I'm to be held accountable here. As we said before, we say, uh, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. And that's strong words here. Hold on to the truth. Ephesians 4 and 27, neither give place to the devil. And one of the devil's tools to destroy the church is this matter of false doctrine, false teaching. And it's ruined many because they have allowed it to. And we see it again all around us. Just dropping our guards. 
what the Bible we find in black and white is no longer black and white in the church. Um, don't ever let it happen here. It would be better if this church would catch on fire and burn to the ground than to see something like that happen. I'm serious about that. It would be better that nothing existed here than it would be a church that would preach and propagate a false doctrine that literally people would believe and at the end of their life realize that they believed wrongly and die and go to hell. Don't let it ever happen here. And I know that you want and I know that you pray and this is something that's really important. In verse number 1 of our text, we'll go back to uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 10. Paul checks his spirit as he's getting ready to deal with these false teachers. He checks his spirit as he begins to do so. And he says this, Now I, Paul, myself beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. He literally begins here talking about this spiritual warfare that he's going to talk about in just a few moments. And he says, I want to make sure. He checks his spirit, if you will. And everything he does, even if it's a bit harsh, even if it's a bit stern with regards to these false teachers, he wants to do it in a Christ-like manner. That's something that we all should seek to do. Seek to do it in a Christ-like manner. I beseech you by the meekness and gentleness of Christ. Paul wanted to imitate the Lord in everything that he did. You know, and so should we. Really, so should we. Imitate the Lord in everything that he did. In everything we do, we ought to consider how Jesus might do it. And seek to do it that way. Seek to do what the Lord would do. I know years ago there was these the people where these bands and so on. And the, the, the thought was what would Jesus do? Well, we know what the Lord would do because we find the scriptures. So many things are black and white. We find principles that make even what we think are little gray areas quite black and white in the scriptures. But I think it's a good thought. Would Jesus do this? Would he respond this way? Would Jesus be in this place? Would Jesus go there? Would Jesus' attitude be like mine or is mine like his? These kinds of things. When Jesus said, follow me, the meaning follow me was in every way possible. Yes, to the mission field. Yes, to do other things. But in every aspect and everyday living of our life. Follow me he says. In everything. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 11. 1. Follow me as I follow Christ. He says get in line and walk in the steps of the Savior with me. Get in line and walk at the same steps. Follow me as I follow Christ. Paul was having to deal with some things that. We're not right here in this church. He had set much right, but now he's dealing with these false teachers. And some people who were in this church were doing things wrong. And people had believed these false accusations against Paul. And he was going to have to be hard, but he wanted to do it in the right way. And that makes a difference. You can be right and do it in the wrong way and lose your hearing. And lose an opportunity to minister. Just be right. And do it in a harsh and a mean manner. And you become that, just that sounding brass. 
easily turned off. But to do things in the right way and do things with, a, a, even when, when it's a hard thing to do it, to do it and ask God to give us that meekness and gentleness that we'd have a tender heart, even a broken heart as we seek to do it. And that would be conveyed to the ones that we're having to work through and deal with. He says, Lord, I, I want to do this in the right way with meekness and gentleness, that, that of Christ. And Paul was being accused, among other things, of, of acting one way and being one way when he had been with the Corinthians, when he had been there with them and among them, and another way when he was away from them. He was being accused of being duplicitous, if you will. Verse 1 of uh, the latter part, who in presence and base among you, but being absent and bold toward you. They were making accusations against Paul. Paul was being accused of being somewhat cowardice and not willing to accuse or not willing to face his accusers and his false teachers. But he would write a letter to them, and so he was willing to do that. But they were saying, look, let him show up. Let's, let's work this thing through. He won't show up. They accused him of being coward in this regard. In verse number 2, Paul is saying, But I beseech you that I may not be bold when I am present with that confidence, wherein I think to be bold against some, which think of us as if we walked according to the flesh. Paul is saying, I beg you that when I do come to see you, my boldness would not need to be to all of you. He's asking for these people, this church, these members of this church to be, have a willing heart to receive him. Because many had believed the lies. He's literally asking for this church to repent and turn from believing those lies against him. But then he adds, I will be bold to some. I will be bold to them who are saying that my walk and all my dealings are according to the flesh. Paul says, I'm going to deal with this. And some of you, this shouldn't be include some of you. So he's literally inviting them to get right here. Because Paul says, I got to deal with these false teachers. And you don't want to be a part of that dealing. So get it right now. Their accusations against Paul was saying that his teaching, his preaching, and his leadership in the church was governed by corrupt principles. That's what they said against him. We walk according to the flesh. They accused Paul of looking out for his own advantage. Paul was guided by his own personal interests and his worldly pursuits. That's what they were saying. His own ambition, his own wealth, his own popularity. Everything that Paul had done during that 18-month stint there of church planting at Corinth was all done in the flesh. That's what they were saying about him. All done in the flesh. Here Paul is anything but a coward. He's courageous. In dealing with his accusers. Verse number 3. If you look at it. For though we walk in the flesh. We do not war after the flesh. Verse number 3 is literally a play on words here. His accusers had accused him of walking in the flesh. Morally. With greed and pride and selfish ambition. 
But Paul uses their own wording and their own words and says, I do walk in the flesh in a physical way. I walk in this body, and we all do. But you can mark it down when it comes to the ability to live for Christ and to serve the Lord, to lead His church, to preach the gospel. This is not flesh. The work of God through me, Paul says, is a supernatural work. It's the work of God through a man. Yes, of flesh and blood. And that's the kind of individual that God uses. God didn't choose to use the angels to preach the gospel worldwide. Boy, it would have been okay. It would have been, wow, you know, surely they'll believe the angels. He chose to use us. The grace that was given to us, he says, now take that same grace and tell others and teach others the same grace. God uses flesh and blood. You know what he uses? The weak things. How many of you, don't raise your hand, but how many of you as you get older, you feel like you realize how weak you really are? The mornings, the sleepless nights, wow. The pain, oh my. It hurts more now than it ever hurted. Hurted. Hurted it did. There you go, brother John. That's that's a good South Carolina word, brother. Mark that. Put that in that dictionary down there. It hurts as we get older, and God uses flesh and blood. Just, I mean, to think that He would take a an individual who's a sinner, clean him up. Cleanse his heart. Give him a desire for the word of God. Give him a desire to do something for God. And let him go preach the gospel. Send him across the street. Send us to Russia. To Suriname. To Fiji. To Japan. Brother Josh was praying and I I called it. And he said, what a blessing it is. We're praying tonight on Wednesday night for people that's getting up out of bed on Thursday morning. In another part of the world. Brother Robbie... They understand all that, and you understand that in Japan. That God would use us. I hope we understand what a great privilege this is. It shouldn't be a matter of, of, has God called me? But it should be a matter of, Lord, will you let me go? Will you use me? And that ought to be our heart's desire. And Paul is saying, look, this is not a matter of this old flesh This is a matter of God working through me. Paul is dealing with this matter of spiritual warfare here. He says all that God has done in this place, in Corinth, in seeing souls saved, in lives changed, in churches planted, it's not of me, it's all of God. And if we're ever going to see anything happen at Lakewood Baptist Church, it won't be of the preacher, it won't be of the deacons, it won't be of the Sunday school teachers, but it'll be of those who are willing to be used of God as God works through all of us. God works through us. It's His work. If we'd simply be willing to surrender our lives... All that God's done, he says, it's all the work of God. Paul walked in the flesh in a physical sense, but he did not war in the flesh. The war that he's talking about is this spiritual warfare that goes on, that's taking place. Paul was engaged in this spiritual warfare, and if anybody thought he was shy and he would run from that, they were terribly mistaken. And God has 
If you're a born-again child of God, you are in that spiritual warfare. The sad thing is, I'm, I'm fearful that so many who should be warring are held captive. Held captive by the world. Captive by their own flesh. Things involved in things they ought not be involved in. He talks about, in verse number 3, he uses the word war. Verse number 4, he uses the word weapons. Again, in verse number 4, he talks about might and the pulling down of strongholds. Verse number 5, casting down and bringing into captivity. Verse number 6, a readiness to revenge. All of these are battle terms. Paul is a soldier of the cross. We look at Ephesians chapter 6. Verses 10 and following. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and the power of his mind. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Wherefore, take unto you, because of these things, take unto you the whole armor of God, that you may be able to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand. Stand therefore, having your loins girt about with the truth, having on the breastplate of righteousness, their feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith, Wherewith we shall be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked. And take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit. Which is the word of God. Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the spirit. And watching thereunto with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. Sounds like spiritual warfare to me. He told Timothy in 2 Timothy chapter 2. Verses 3 and 4. Let me read you the verses. Thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. No man that warth entangled himself with the affairs of this life. That he may please him who hath chosen him to be a soldier. God's chosen every believer to be a soldier. That's what we ought to be doing. Not caught up in the things of the world. We live in the world. We have to have, and I'm not saying, you understand what I'm saying here. But I'm saying simply, the biblical, we are to get involved. And we'll talk about that, just what this looks like. Spiritual warfare is not a battle with our fists. It's a battle for the faith. What's our objective in the battle? What is our objective in this battle? Uh, like what David said when David cried out when Goliath was, you remember he was mocking the nation of Israel. David cried out, is there not a cause? Yes, there's a cause. David said to Goliath, he says, thou comest to me with a sword and with a spear and with a shield. That's all fleshly stuff. But he says, I come to thee in the name of the Lord of hosts. He says, I'm getting ready to lop your head off, old Goliath. I'm going to take it off your shoulders. All he had was a sling and some stones. But he took the sword of the mightiest man, the mightiest Philistine that ever lived. He took his own sword. He came to him in the power of God. Now is that a one-man 
show? Is that one man thing? Is that just a once and done situation? No, God gives us the same power. And we're not fighting the Goliaths, the physical. Our fight is against spiritual warfare, principalities, these kinds of things. And we'll talk a little bit more about what exactly that is to come. David fought in the strength of God, and that's how we are to fight for all Christians are to be part of that spiritual battle. And as Christians, we do not fight for victory. We fight from victory that's found already in Jesus Christ. Guess what's coming up Easter Sunday? We're fighting from the position of victory. Not hoping that we gain it. It's already been given. Again, what's our obligation? What's our objectives here, rather? Uh, let me give you just... Two minutes, let me give you some. We fight. What are we to fight for? First of all, we fight for the truth of the Scriptures. What are we to fight for and hang on to? We fight for the truth of the Scriptures. What this Bible says. The inspired, inerrant, infallible Word of God. The title itself, the Word of God, makes it authoritative and true. The title itself. It's not just the final say, it's the only say. It's the only say. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. So we fight for the truth of the scriptures. Our battle is for the truth of this word. Hang on to it. Don't let anybody take it from us. We fight for the honor and the glory of God. Maybe that should have been number one. We fight for the honor and glory of God, Jesus Christ. Romans 1.16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. For it is the power of God unto salvation. 2 Timothy 1.18. Be not ashamed of the testimony of our Lord. To God be the glory. Great things he hath done. Psalm 145 and 21. My mouth shall speak the praise of the Lord and let all flesh bless his holy name forever and ever. We're to fight for the truth of the scriptures. We're to fight for the honor and the glory of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He's worthy of it all. Number three, we're to fight for the salvation of sinners. Fight for the salvation of sinners. Why in the world would we go to all this trouble, if you want to call it that? It's not that at all. But why would we go to all this extra work to, to provide and do a mission conference? To make it an emphasis. Because it's this matter of spiritual warfare fighting for the salvation of lost people. So that people would come to know Jesus Christ. Is it worth it? Yes. A hundred, a thousand times over. Yes, it's worth it. Jude, verse number 23. Fighting for the salvation of sinners. Uh, Jude, verse 23. And others save with fear. Pulling them out of the fire. Hating even the garments spoiled by the flesh. The idea of pulling them. It's a snatching. It's a, it's a plucking. It's a seizing. It's a, it's a last minute effort. Do all that we can. It's almost that you get the idea of they're, they're, they're right on the edge. And we are pulling them back from the edge. So that they might come to know Jesus Christ. And be gloriously born again. Fighting for the salvation of sinners. 
Lastly, fighting for the purity of ourselves. Fighting for the purity of ourselves. Verses 20 and 21 of Jude. But ye, beloved, building up yourselves in your, uh, your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Ghost, keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. Some have compassion making a difference. Fight for the purity of your own life. Have you come to the realization, I know you have, that living the Christian life in the flesh is impossible? You can't do it. I can't do it. But with God living in us and as we live obedient to him, keeping ourselves pure, In our own life, building up, he says, building up the faith within ourselves, praying constantly, reading our Bibles, keep yourselves not saved. We are already saved. We don't keep ourselves saved. Once truly saved, always saved. The Bible clearly teaches eternal security. So we're not fighting to keep ourselves saved. What a terrible life that would be. God, I... Oh, wow. Can't even imagine. So we're not fighting to keep ourselves saved. We're fighting because we are saved. We're fighting to be separated from the world. The idea of separation from the world is a lost thing in many places. James 1 and 27, keep yourself unspotted from the world. Walking in obedience to the Lord in everything. So fight for the truth of the scriptures. Fight for the glory of his name. Fight for the salvation of sinners. And fight for the purity of ourselves. That's the warfare. There's a war that we are to wage that's spiritual. There are weapons that we've been given that are not carnal, but they're supernatural, mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. And there's the victory that we win when your obedience is fulfilled. That's what he says out of verse 6. So we're all in the battle. But we're all victors in Christ. So let's remind, remind ourselves that tonight when we go home, the fella cuts us off getting on 75 the morning that happens when the guy that does the little thing to try to get one over on us here or there and, and we get a little bit out of shape let's go back and do what the Bible says with the spirit of God with the truth of God and let's ask God to let us see souls saved the warfare that God's given us let's not give up until he comes to get us amen bow in prayer. Father, thank you. Thank you so much for battling, winning, victorious life that you have given us if we would simply take hold of it. You've provided it for every one of us. But Lord, we understand that living in this world, prone to wonder, Lord, we feel it. Prone to leave the God we love. God, may we never. When that proneness comes, when that inkling and that feeling that urging begins to draw us away may we run back to the truth recognizing this is a spiritual warfare because your name is worthy because people need the Lord or may we may we seek to follow after you to glorify your name
Bless us as we've met together tonight. Encourage us. Tomorrow, some will face the spiritual battles. We'll all will. Lord, some are in them right now. Help them, encourage them. Lord, we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.